0: Hello and welcome to Balagan, the podcast that will put things in order for a better understanding of Israeli politics. I am Kobe Cohen, a former political advisor and currently a political columnist and Israel educator. In many of my conversations with my American friends and family, I have noticed that Israeli politics is challenging to understand and quite blurry at times, so I'm here to explain how it works, who are the different players, and why the different players are acting the way they act. So if you're interested in getting what's happening in Israel, that's your place. My podcast will be thorough and brief, with many guests, giving you the best information about Israeli politics and society. It will deal with the structure of the political system in Israel, the different groups of interest, the players' history, along with analysis of what is happening today. I promise to be as objective as possible and guarantee it will always be interesting. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Balagan. The 23rd Knesset officially dispersed as the clock struck midnight on Tuesday night and the deadline to approve the 2020 budget expired, sending Israelis to the polls for the fourth time in less than two years. Elections were automatically called for 90 days from that date, namely March 23rd, 2021. The failure to pass a budget came just seven months after the swearing of the unity government between Likud and Blue and White Party. The two parties, which had fought each other bitterly in three indecisive elections, agreed to form a power-sharing government with a rotating premiership between Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Blue and White leader Benny Gantz in May. What happened that suddenly we had this failure and uh, what's going to happen now? I'm here today with my dear friend Jeff Becker. Hi, Jeff. I'm happy to have you here with me today. And Jeff,
1: what do you have to say about the Israeli upcoming elections? So... Me being an American, I can compare the U.S. political system to the Israeli political system. In the U.S., it's really not all that hard because you just have two parties, really, Democrats and Republicans. And then when you transition over to the Israeli political system and you basically see that it's dozens of parties all competing, uh, fighting with each other in the same sandbox and how it's always constantly changing, it gets a little confusing. So I'm just going to start off, you know name some of the players that we're going to be talking about today. The main party that has been the center of this uh, controversy for the last couple of years is Likud, led by Benjamin Netanyahu. Benjamin Netanyahu is currently the prime minister, and Likud has been the party in power for the last decade. They've been responsible for all the coalitions, and they've been heading the government for the last decade. Then you get Yeshatid Atid led by Yair Lapid, and they have been in the opposition for the last couple of years. They're more of a secular party, a centrist party, compared to Likud being a right-wing party. And they are very much in the anti-Netanyahu camp. Then you have the joint list, which it's the Arab parties collective is one list, but it's a little confusing nowadays that despite them being united in one party, they really don't seem to be much united anymore. And we will explain why that is in this podcast. And then we have Blue and White, which was Benny Gantz's party. They were created as an alternative to Netanyahu, and they attracted voters by saying that they would never sit in the government with Netanyahu. And lo and behold, they ended up sitting in a government with Netanyahu and they don't really seem like they have much power anymore. The government with Likud collapsed. So Benny Gantz will not be in the prime minister rotation spot as that collapsed. And they don't really seem to have any voters anymore. So we'll see if they even survive into the next election. Then we have Shas and UTJ, which are the two Haredi parties, Shas or Mizrahi, UTJ, Ashkenazi, and they're basically in the Netanyahu loyalist camp. They will go with Netanyahu every single time. Then we have Yisrael Beitenu, which is Avigdor Lieberman, secular right-wing party, tracks a lot of Russian speakers. Then we have Yamina, which is Naftali Bennett's party, more of a national religious Party and they were actually not included in this last government, despite being often included with Likud in the coalition.
0: That's also an interesting story because Netanyahu knows who he can play with
1: and who he can't play with. Yep, and then we have Meretz, essentially uh, the voter base is a you know bunch of hipsters in Tel Aviv, the far left party, and then we get into New Hope, which is the new party, the realistic. Scenarios that New Hope is now the one party that can actually contend Netanyahu's rule and is probably the most threatening to Netanyahu's rule as we get into this next election. As New Hope is actually consists of Likud breakaways. A lot yeah. of people defected from the Likud party and started this new party that has a lot of support now. And that's really it. I mean, we could get into, you know, labor and the remains Some of, of the, the labor, you mean? The remains of the labor party and uh, Gesher. But, um, you know, at this point, there really is a lot to say about them. Other than that, they're going to need to do something to make themselves relevant again, as they're kind of dead.
0: Well, you're correct. And you mentioned New Hope. New Hope is, we'll call it the new kid on the block, but it's not exactly a new kid because it's being led by uh, Gidon Tsar, who is a Likud member of Orir's. He's originally an attorney. He was actually the assistant of a Supreme Court, if I remember correctly, of Dorit Benish at the time. And then he started his political career as the secretary of the government of Ariel Sharon in 1999. And from there, he actually stayed in the Likud all the time, even when Sharon offered him to join him at Kadima. So he was really loyal to his political ideology and way. Unlike, uh, for example, Prime Minister Netanyahu, he never voted in favor of the disengagement in 2005. Netanyahu voted three times, and only after the disengagement uh, passed in the Knesset, he felt ashamed and he was sorry. that. Uh, and he's, by the way, trying to uh, cover it uh, quite well, but it doesn't work because you have TV and, and you have the records in the Knesset. So... Gidon Saar was actually the one pulling the trick on Netanyahu this week. I mean, I will give him that, that for now, he is challenging Netanyahu, but we need to remember that we have three months until the election themselves. So three months are a way, way, way long time from now in political aspect. And I doubt if he'll be able to maintain the wave that he's sailing on at the moment. Even though you can say that the moment, the wind is fully in, in his sails, as they say. He was the one who was able to um, drift, you know, get some deserters or uh, some uh, members of the Knesset to hide in different places in the Knesset and come in the last moment to vote on the night of Monday to Tuesday against the amendment to the budget law and to extend it in a week. And that is actually why the 23rd Knesset is uh, dissolving. And he was surprising, both Netanyahu and uh, Miki Zor, who's the head of the coalition, and actually even a couple of blue and white, because Benny Gantz did not expect Miki Chaimovich, Asaf Zamir and Ram Shefa, three of his uh, list, to actually vote against this amendment. Very struggling time. I mean, for most players,
1: you know, we'll also have to see what's going to happen now. So how much support does Prime Minister Netanyahu really have at this point? There have been indications in the past. I mean, Avigdor Lieberman and his secularist right-wing Yisrael Beitenu party are very firm at this point that they will not join a Netanyahu government. You have Naftali Bennett and his Yamina party, also a right-wing party, who are indicating as well that they will not join a Netanyahu government and that they want to replace him. You have Gideon Sa'ar's New Hope Party, which is also right-wing, who are Likud breakaways because they don't want to be in Likud anymore. They don't want to serve under Netanyahu. And you have merits in the joint list. So you have the left-wing in the air parties who can never see them joining Netanyahu or supporting his government.
0: Never say never, because if we'll go, you mentioned the joint list, and I want to uh, shed some light about it. The joint list is actually a collaboration of three parties. It's a combination of a Hadash Ta'al, which is the most secular wing of the joint list. It has its, I would say, nationalist part of Balad, which is the nationalist Arabs. They are the ones, you know, with Hanin Zuabi and all of the nationalists that the right wing like to uh, call the Zouabis. Yair Lapid actually <laughs> named them the Zuabis uh, a couple of years ago. And then, you have the ultra-orthodox stream, which is represented by Mansour Abbas and Ram, the United uh, Arab List. And actually, Mansour Abbas and Ram are tending to ban their friends at the joint list. Everybody on the joint list voted against the amendment, and Mansour Abbas and his friends were actually hiding in their rooms, waiting to see if Netanyahu is having the majority. And when they were under the impression that Netanyahu has the majority... They actually left the Knesset. That's why Netanyahu's amendment fell. Because of them and because the members of the Knesset that were hiding. So you're mentioning the joint list. I don't know what's going to happen with them in the upcoming election. I tend to believe that maybe Hadash Tal and Balad will stick together because they understand that they have more power running together But I don't know if Ram, you know, Ram may cause the Arabs to lose votes, actually, because if they're not going to pass the thresholds, then uh, it means that you'll have three to four Arab MKs that will go
1: home. In a way, it's pretty ironic that at this point, Netanyahu really doesn't have a whole lot of support from right-wing parties. So now he's relying on a specific Arab party, you know, more conservative Islamic ideals, and he's relying on them to support him at this point in time.
0: Look, Netanyahu is very instrumental, and he's a very talented politician. So in his mind, and I will give him that, you know, it was President Trump, the outgoing president of the United States, who said once that he can shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and his supporters wouldn't give a damn. So at this point, Netanyahu has in his base people that don't really care, you know, what he's going to do. As long as he's there, they trust him blindly. And that's one of the things that Netanyahu's opposers don't seem to get. I mean, they're calling them BB's team, you know, like the Trumpists that are called here. So you have the BB's team, the people that support BB blindly, and technically he can do whatever he wants. For them, he doesn't care. Nobody else can form a coalition with the Joint Arab List, but if Netanyahu is being supported by them, then that's okay. And I will mention that in 1996, he was uh, supported by the Arab members of the Knesset to early the elections in Israel. And when he was the head of opposition, both him and the Arabs voted against the government. So he has no problem collaborating with them when, when it's in
1: his interest. But is his support from uh, Ra'am, a faction of the Joint Arab List? I mean, going into the next election, is that even, that won't be enough support for him to be able to build a, a government? I mean, at this point, he's antagonized so many people on the right and left wing that really no one, except for the, well, I, I won't say no one, I, you know, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but, you know, at least what a lot of players are saying, except for the Haradim, is that they're not going to sit with Netanyahu. So how much support does he really have going into this next election? Look, if we will go to the past election, you know, the elections to the
0: 23rd Knesset, it was actually Benny Gantz who said it was either us or them. And eventually he took the bait that Netanyahu put on his uh, doorstep. And we know what happened to that. Saar knows Netanyahu. So there is a complete mistrust between Saar and Netanyahu. And there is a complete mistrust, by the way, with Bennett and Netanyahu. But nobody is uh, suspecting SARS ideology that he's not a hard right wing. He actually says it. If you'll go to what he's putting on his agenda, he's actually saying, we're going to strengthen the settlements in the West Bank. We're going to form a coalition to preserve the status quo. So he's aiming to the right. He's not leaning, trying to blink to the center or to the left. He's a pure hard right. So it will be hard to slam him, you know, with Saar is going to go with the Arabs because Saar can play the same game. But I will say that eventually it all depends on what will happen on March 23rd. I'll give you a date prior to that, which is February 4th, because on February 4th, that's the last date to hand the list of the parties running to the election committee. And only then we can see who's running, in which party, what are the lists, and what are their agendas. At the moment, for example, if you'll go to the left, we have MK Offer Shelach, that we spoke about him a while ago, who left Yeshatid and he's forming his own party. Yair Golan, who was in uh, Israel Demokratit, a different party with uh, Ehud Barak, he joined Meretz. And Orly Levy, for example, who was in uh, Gesher, the Labor and merit, actually went to the Likud. And Tzvi Hauser and uh, Yoaz Handel, who left Telem and became Derech Eret, and now they are uh, joining uh, Gidon Saar. So it's hard to tell what's going to happen. There is a saying in poker that you're checking what you have only when you're cashed out. You know, you count the money in the stairway. That's what they say when you play poker. And it's the same with elections. You know what you're coming in with, but you never know what's going to happen only after the elections. Kidon Saar may have 20 mandates. At the moment, the polls give him a 20 to 21 mandate. Bennett gets like 15 mandates, but uh, you know, he was the one who got struck hard by Saar and the Likud still has 30 mandates. So in theory, Those three parties alone, which are all hard right-wing, have 55 mandates. Will it stay as 55 mandates? I'm not that sure, because it all depends if you're going to have another centric party and what's going to happen in the left. I doubt if Benny Gantz is going to run on his own. I mean, the polls are killing him. He's really close to not passing the threshold at the moment. And I don't believe that he's going to run on his own. Maybe he will form, you know, some sort of a new centric left uh, list along with other parties, which makes sense, by the way, because the less parties you have, the less votes that you are uh, throwing away. But we will be way wiser on February 4th. And I guess we're going to record another episode at that time to speak about the list that eventually will run in the upcoming
1: election. Well, all in all, it seems like the center left at this point is not the alternative to Netanyahu in the eyes of the Israeli public. I mean, Benny Gantz and Yair Lapid were considered the center left alternative. I mean, Benny Gantz has just thrown away all trust with the Israeli public by doing the one thing he said that he wasn't going to do, which was joining a Netanyahu government he's a lot of talk. I mean, he's a media guy. He worked as a journalist. Um, you know, he's really good on the camera, but when it comes to actual policies, he tends to flip-flop a lot, and a lot of people are able to see through that, which is why Yeh Shatid is has kind of remains stagnant in the polls at, like, 15 mandates uh, around there. You know, nowhere near enough to be able to put a government together. So at this point, I wouldn't assume that the center-left has any real opportunity or chance to... Put together a government or really contest Netanyahu. The only way that Netanyahu is going to be deposed is by an alternative right wing government led by, I'm assuming at this point, it'll be Gideon Saar and his New Hope Party.
0: Well, in theory, you know, you're talking about Gideon Saar and the alternative. If they had less ego involved, instead of dissolving the Knesset, actually the opposition had a chance to try and do what you call a constructive distrust which means until a couple of years ago in Israel, the opposition could put distrust voting on the government and to challenge them. At one point, they said that it's not really a good tool for the opposition because they made a change in the law that uh, the opposition can call for a distrust against the government, but they have to provide an alternate prime minister and to show that they have a majority to make it. I don't think that they tried it. I mean, uh, they knew that there's not going to be a lot of trust and they could have changed the government, but we'll put it aside. So the left wing is crushed. You were mentioning Yair Lapid. Yair Lapid is actually a tragedy. He started as a big promise. And for now, I think that he got to some sort of a glass ceiling on his way to becoming a mature politician. He made a lot of mistakes that are not being forgiven. He was slamming the left wing, and that's why a lot of left wingers will not vote him. He was slamming the Arabs, so the Arabs don't like him and don't collaborate with him. He went against the ultra-orthodox, and now he's trying to play with them as well, but they don't trust him. So even though he showed some growth and maturity you know, along the way, like banning the rotation idea with Benny Gantz, and stuff like that, which I told you in the first place that it was too late at that point. But he did uh, gave up the rotation idea with Benny Gantz at that time. And the polls give him 15 mandates. In the first election, he won 18 mandates. When he was first running in 2013, he got 18 mandates. And he's been declining ever since. So even the polls don't show that the Israeli public trust him to be a a prime minister. They don't see him as a candidate. You know, I think that it's a tragedy for him because he is a good guy and he has, uh, you know, uh, goodwill. But, for example, you know, if we'll put him and compare him to uh, Naftali Bennett, for example, of Yamina, who until Gidon Saar's declaration of opposing Netanyahu and running against him, Bennett got to the point that the polls actually gave him 22 to 25 mandates challenging the Likud. Okay, okay. And suddenly people started seeing him as Netanyahu's successor. And why did that happen? Because once this government was formed, Yair Lapid didn't do anything besides attacking Gantz and Netanyahu, but mainly Gantz, who was his former ally. While Naftali Bennett, who's now being slammed because of that, didn't challenge the government based on persona. He was challenging them based on what they do. And he went and he said, listen, you guys are handling the COVID crisis wrong. He set an alternative. Even though some of the things he said did not make any sense and are not really things that you can do, he was setting an alternative. You know, he challenged the system. And Yair Lapid did
1: not challenge the system. He was always fighting the personas. So... What do you think is going to happen? We have Gideon Saar, who's now the main challenger. Do you think he's going to be able to put together an alternative right-wing government? Do you think, I don't know, maybe Ofer Sheloff and the center-left will be able to pull themselves out of the abyss? I mean, we have a lot of personalities who are going to clash regardless of what happens. Do you think that you know there can be an anti-BB camp collective of right-wing and left-wing parties? I definitely think it's
0: doable. You know, Netanyahu still has, If will go back to poker, he has the upper hand. But we can't tell what's going to happen along the way. I mean, Netanyahu was trying to postpone the elections because he's counting on, you know, vaccinating 80 to 90% of uh, Israel's population until the elections. And it will take a couple of months. So he said, if it's going to be in May, we're going to pass the winter. Things are going to get better. Economy is going to improve and people will forget all the mess that I did in order to survive. And now it's going to be a bit closer, but he still has the advantage. He is the prime minister. He is using everything he can to be in the news. If we'll go to who got the vaccination in the U.S., the first person to get the vaccine was a first responder. It was a nurse. Okay. In most countries, it was first responders. And who was it in the state of Israel in primetime TV? Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, to set an example for everybody. So he knows how to put a show and he's going to take advantage of it like he did in the past, even harder. What will challenge him the most is now he needs to choose who he needs to attack. You know, the left wing is crash. It's irrelevant for these elections. So... I think that we're going to see a lot of bloodshed within the right wing. It's going to be against Gideon Sar. We're going to see a lot of skeletons coming out of the closet uh, with Saar. We're going to hear a lot about it. And we'll see how Saar is going to handle it. Because I doubt if Saar is going to be getting his head down, just like Gantz and the left wing letting Bibi do whatever he wants and say whatever he wants without retaliating. Saar is less of a friar politically-wise than others. And that's why I think his is the biggest challenge. I actually think that the biggest chance to really challenge Netanyahu is if Gidon Saar and uh, Naftali Bennett will join forces together. But I doubt if Naftali Bennett's ego will let him do that and run with uh, Gidon Saar. With the left wing, listen, a lot is going to happen. I mean, Ofer Shelach, who's an amazing MK, he has an ideology, and he is a leftist. Actually, you know, he announced that he's forming another party. I doubt if he's going to run within that party. I think he's using it as a leverage to get people with him. And we're going to see a lot of names coming up in the stock market, a lot of names that some of them are new to national politics. Some of them will be rejoining politics. Like, you know, in the stock market, you have people like Tzipi Livni. Everybody's talking about Eisenkot. I'm not that sure if, you know, Eisenkot will really join this game.
1: Eisenkot is another former chief and I, and of staff, yes. another IDF general. He's and
0: actually the last chief of staff before uh, Aviv Kohavi. And he's undecisive about joining politics and where, well, which also shows you that politics today is a lot less about ideology and more about chances and the
1: uh, strategies. And yeah, egos. it's about egos.
0: So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen on February 4th and what will be the final list in order to give a better analysis on uh, the players' chances. You don't have a dull moment in Israel, unfortunately, I'm saying that. You know, Israel is in a very hard economic situation, regardless of COVID. You know, the society is so polarized after the years of Netanyahu, who was the strongest politician around and he's always setting an agenda of us and them. And, you know, you were saying that it's going to be an anti-BB coalition. It's definitely going to be an anti-BB coalition. It's not going to be a lovers' coalition. It's not going to be an ideological coalition. You know, the question is if Saar will be able to pull one, if Bennett is going to join forces with him, because they both realize that in order to beat Netanyahu, you need to play with his rules and not, uh, you know... If you're going to a street fight, as they like to say, don't wear gloves, but wear spikes or, you know, put the spikes on and not a boxing glove. That's something that the left wing didn't realize and also
1: the center. So at this point, we should really expect that this coming election, it's not even going to be a whole lot about ideology. You know, it won't be BB like in last elections saying, oh, you know, The left's going to take over. It's really going to be a lot of personal attacks, you know, amongst right-wing figures like Naftali Bennett and his religious nationalist camp, Gideon Saar, and his uh, Likud breakaway camp. And, you know, I'm sure we'll even see Avigdor Lieberman get back in the mix with his secular right-wing base. I can see an anti bb uh, coalition. I think they'll have the numbers. It's just because each member of what could be an anti bb coalition, they all have egos. And if they're going to be willing to put them aside in order to join a coalition, I don't know how possible that is, let alone, you know, if you could even see like a left wing party like Meretz joining someone who's super right wing, not Fali Bennett, in order to depose Bibi. I don't know how realistic that is either. Do you think we could even see another election, a fifth election happening because it could be another stalemate again? That's a good question. Most of the people in Israel are tired of these elections.
0: Even though they put the blame and the responsibility on Netanyahu, he still has, every fourth Israeli supporting Netanyahu directly. And we need to remember that. He has a strong base of supporters. And the only question is whether his opposition will be able to, I would say, overrun the egos and collaborate in order to stabilize the system a little bit. Because Israel really needs a functioning government that will take care of COVID. Israel is going now to a third quarantine. They don't set any agenda for this quarantine. They don't set any target. There is nothing behind it. If you ask the people what's happening, everybody will tell you that there is a big chaos or a big balagan in Israel. Now they are taking people to uh, hotels from the airport. Instead of saying, you know what, I don't want them to come in. Close the borders. Other countries have done it, bigger countries than Israel. But Israel, because of political aspects, you know, I would say that Netanyahu doesn't want to hurt his uh, ultra-Orthodox friends. Okay? The flights from uh, New York are full of uh, ultra-Orthodox coming into Israel all the time. And he's not willing to put his alliance with the ultra-Orthodox at risk. And nobody's shedding light on that. Nothing of the decision-making is based on the public's health. It's based on narrow political aspects.
1: Yeah. It seems like a lot of people on the Israeli right are understanding this, hence, you know, why Gideon Sa'ar's new party is becoming so popular as of right now. But I think you're right that, you know, we're going to have to wait and see a couple of weeks to see what happens on the center left if they're able to muster up a new party with Ofer Shelach, Sipi Livni, Ron Fuldai, you know, all the free agents who are just kind of floating around to, you know, are looking for a home right now. And I mean, we'll see how that changes the dynamic. I don't really anticipate that's going to change the dynamic a whole lot, except for, I mean, it might throw Gantz officially under the bus and him and his party might go extinct. You know, the blue and white party will be done officially, but we'll have to see if he merges into another party. I mean, you know, I think we'll probably see one more party come out of this as a, combination of a lot of, you know, more uh, center-left, left-wing parties, and we'll see how that can change things up.
0: Yeah, you know, time will tell, but uh, at the moment, it seems like a big balagan. It seems that the only ones winning out of this upcoming election is the right-wing Haredim, because even Gidon Saar, I doubt if he will go against the Haredim and form a coalition without them. And I must say that, you know, we're putting all the shed on the Likud, but Netanyahu couldn't do what he's doing if he didn't have the alliances. And his strongest alliance is the ultra-orthodox. They know why they are doing it. They are the biggest beneficiaries. They are in the settlers, by the way, are the biggest beneficiaries. Netanyahu is taking care of them, even if he doesn't have Yamina in the government and without Bennett and the ultra-orthodox, the government keeps on pouring money on the yeshivot. Now, uh, Arya Dery, the Minister of Internal Affairs, he set up a reform... Of 700 million shekels, providing food stamps for poor families, and if you check the criteria, it's all aimed to his base. So it's like a government's bribery to the Orthodox to show them why they need to continue support. Just there are no uh, true, uh, you know, criteria that will allow uh, Arabs or uh, secular people to get it, and nobody is saying anything against it. They can do whatever they want. Aguda and Shas never had a better time for their. I wouldn't say for their people, by the way. I would say for their uh, political leadership and their
1: rabbinical katserot because it allows them to continue holding their voters by the throat. Could you see any scenario where the Haredim leave Netanyahu free or Sa'ar Bennett? Oh, definitely. If they will promise them the same deal, they would go for them. I mean, if you think about that, if Sa'ar promises the same thing, then you could see a coalition actually get finalized from this election, like a solid coalition. I mean, to be a solid right-wing Haredi coalition, but it would just be without Likud and Netanyahu.
0: Yeah. And I would say, by the way, that for the state of Israel, it's going to be almost the same because the Haredim, you know, they don't like the judicial system. They are not big fans of the Supreme Court. They don't care about, uh, you know, the law and governments. All they care is about their money, about their uh, litrat basar, you know, their part of the flesh, Mm -hmm. what they get. You know, it's like, they ask to take honey from the comb without being working bees, you know, in this whole system. Yeah. So, so, well, I will just and have... the right wing will continue to provide it to them. That's my hunch. But once again, we'll have to see because they are the only ones who are actually stable with their 15 mandates. It doesn't matter, you know, how many elections
1: we're going to get. They're still going to get the same number of uh, mandates. So we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, there are more updates to come in the coming weeks. I'm sure we'll have more members from LeCoult Netanyahu's party defecting to Gideon Sa'ar. We'll see how that affects the numbers, and we'll see what the center-left is able to put together, if they are able to put together. If they are able, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see what happens with the joint list also. And, you know, the probably the biggest irony of all, of, you know, members of the joint, some members of the Ram faction of the joint list so yeah. helping out Netanyahu. I mean, things that I don't... You know, you know, you know Israeli politics a lot more than I do, and you've been around a lot longer. I mean, if you've ever seen something like this, I mean, this has got to be but, pretty unprecedented.
0: I will say one last sentence about Mansour Abbas and the Ram Party. Mansour Abbas is trying to look at it in a real way. He said, "Listen, the right wing is going to continue governing the state of Israel." I don't care that they will continue governing. I want some money, just like the ultra-Orthodox. He's an ultra-Orthodox, or, you know, uh, he's a believer, okay, a Muslim believer. And he says, I want to get money for my people. He's not talking about equality. He's not talking about, he's talking about budgets.
1: Yeah, he's taken
0: out of the Haredim playbook. Technically, yes. And he's also a Haredi. Let's be honest. Ram is the Shas Aguda
1: of the Israeli Arabs yep so it'll be interesting oh definitely all right well kobe thank you for having me on i mean this is you know it's a lot of moving parts to this you know try to explain it in the best way we can but you know it's a very complicated sandbox with a lot of different kids playing in this sandbox none of whom really get along with each other at all so and you know the constantly people leaving the sandbox new kids coming in so you know it's definitely trying to shed some light on it's very important but it can also be very difficult but uh, you know thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on and help shed some light on it thank
0: you jeff for joining me and i'm sure uh, you know we'll uh, record again uh, really soon and thank you for our audience as well for joining us today talk to you soon i hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.